Well, today we're dealing with a very sensitive subject. It's a topic that for uh, many of you probably have created a lot of disappointment and frustration and hurts. And for some of you, it probably has involved uh, betrayal and even guilt. And today, many of us who are married are experiencing great disconnection in the bedroom. In fact, one research team who has done extensive counseling and research uh, in this area concludes that 75% of married couples are not having mutually fulfilling and satisfying sexual relationships. And for many of us, the reason this is is because there are sexual scars and pains from our past and baggage that we've been carrying And it just becomes very difficult then to have soul-to-soul, body-to-body kind of connection. Because many of us are carrying enormous amounts of sexual guilt for many different reasons. You know, it's so amazing to me how complicated and confusing sex can become in marriage. I mean, God gave to us sex as a gift to be natural and joyful and fulfilling. And yet for many couples, it is anything but that. I think what's even more baffling is that many of us can remember a time when the sparks flew, emotions swept, our hearts fluttered, and we burned with passion. Before the wedding, the sexual tension was so overwhelming that just to be in each other's presence, you felt like Mount St. Helen ready to erupt at any time. I mean, this was what was evident last week at Isaac and Katie's wedding. Pastor Isaac, who got married. I mean, the Volvo pulled up, and all they wanted to do was head out, you know? But after a while, once you've been married, what happens is that there are many couples who can't even stand to be in each other's presence, let alone in the bedroom. So it's obvious to me that we need some help in knowing how to work in this area of sexual intimacy in marriages because there are many marriages that have broken down in the bedroom. Now, in preparing for this message, I came across a book by Christopher and Rachel McCluskey entitled this, and it'll come up on the screen. So if uh, this is something you don't want anyone else to know, but you're thinking yourself, you can write it down. When the two become one, enhancing sexual intimacy in marriage. Now, get this. Christopher is a licensed counselor, but he is a Christian sex therapist. Now, those two things typically don't go together, do they? It's kind of like an oxymoron, a Christian sex therapist, but that's what he is. Well, the elephant in the room that we find a very difficult time talking about is especially true, I think, when it comes to the church. Because historically, this is a subject matter that most of us in the church never talk about whatsoever, and we never hear any messages on it. 
I mean, I was a PK, a preacher's kid. And what that means is that you hear every sermon for your whole life, pretty much, until you get out of the house. And for the first 18 years, I never heard my dad once explain human sexuality as a wonderful gift from God and that God meant it to be fantastic and joy-filled and wonderful in the confines of marriage. I mean, he had never told me about the birds and the bees, the flowers and the trees, the moon up above, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we never had the talk, you know? Now, I did hear a lot about the dangers of sex and how you should avoid uh, certain kinds of bad girls who might take you off the road of Christian uh, of the Christian walk, especially those that might become, you know, future physicians in our community. <laughs> but I never heard that sex and marriage could be good and positive and a wonderful gift from God. You know, it's so ironic that in our culture, where we live in a very exposed world to much sexual material, it's in the media, it's in movies, it's in television, it's all over the place. These sexual themes are everywhere. And yet we still have a very difficult time talking about this elephant in the room in marriage, in families, and even in the church. For instance, what kind of language do we talk about when we discuss this? Do we use clinical or medical language? Do we talk about genitalia and mammary glands? Or do we use slang? The type of language that you heard in you know, the locker room growing up. Do you use terms like getting some or doing the nasty? Did I just say that in church? You know? Or do we use kitty language? My wife was raised in a very unique family where they never really talked about sex whatsoever. And I'll never forget one of the first times that we were dating, we were, you know, sex kind of came up, and all of a sudden her mom said, Tuppy. And I was like, Tuppy? Like Tupperware? What is that? And they have names in their families Tuppies, Boppies, Tatas. And those were the language that she would use. And what was so crazy, once we got married, and, you know, obviously, you know, we're having sex now that we're married, and we'd talk about these things. They'd still not talk about it. We just use these words. Her parents still use them today. And it just reminded me that in marriage, people have a hard time discussing this issue. Christopher McCluskey, the sex therapist that I uh, referred to earlier, the Christian sex therapist, talks about a couple who walked into his office who he named Richard and Adrian. They sat tensely with straight faces, looked directly at a wall, not at him. Eventually, they looked to him, and Adrian turned to the side and looked into the corner of the room. And she said, It's really hard to put into words. I can't believe we're sitting here talking about this. We were both raised in family, families where, you know, you never, you know, talked about sex and all of that. 
And we never really talk to each other about it. We just kind of do it. But it's not working well and we don't know what to do. We've been married for eight years and for the most part, our marriage is pretty healthy in many respects. It's just that when we, you know, do it or whatever, we never seem to be able to, I mean, I never, well, you know. Well, folks, we have a very difficult time finding the language for this elephant in the room. But one of the things that you find out is when you pick up this book, the Bible, and you start reading about what God talks about on this area, He doesn't have an issue with it. This is not an elephant in the room for God. And typically, the Bible doesn't use clinical language or medical language or uh, locker room talk or kitty talk. It says it directly, descriptively, and poetically. Let's just look at a couple of passages that are from the Bible. I want you to know this. They are from the Bible. You might blush, so be prepared. The first one is in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and it says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Everybody knows what that means, right? Okay. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam and Eve were totally one flesh. They were one sexually, they were one relationally, they were one emotionally, they were one spiritually. They were naked and they had no shame, no embarrassment, and no guilt. This was not an elephant in the room. Let's look at a second passage. It's in the Song of Solomon. Now this entire book itself is themed on human sexuality between a man and a woman. The joy and wonder between a man and a woman. And it uses very descriptive and poetic language. First of all, let's look at the first passage from Solomon, from a man's kind of point of view. He said, I will climb up into the palm tree and take hold of its branches. Now we read that and we think, what's he talking about there? Well, let's read on. Now your breast, now may your breast be like grape clusters and the scent of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine, smooth and sweet, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Folks, this is in the Bible. It's right there. And you might say, well, that's a guy talking. Well, let's go on to the next passage because here's a very sensual Statement back from his young wife who says this. I am my lover's, the one he desires. Come, my love, let us go into the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go out to the vineyards. Let us see whether the vines have budded, whether the blossoms have opened, and whether the pomegranates are in flower. And there I will give you my love. Now, folks, I'm not going to have to explain this to you, I don't think, from a Hebrew context. But things like vines that are budded, blossoms that have opened, 
pomegranates and flour. This is some very descriptive, steamy, and erotic language. And so, husbands and wives, if tonight, you know, you've been struggling with the elephant in the bedroom, I would suggest get the Bible. Open it up to the Song of Solomon. Read it and let it go from there. Now, if you're not married and you're single, I would not recommend you opening this up and reading it because you will be very frustrated later on, okay? So don't do that. But I share these passages because I want you to see the fantastic intensity and love that is celebrated in the context of a spiritual relationship in marriage between a husband and a wife. There is erotic pleasure and there is passion in an unabashed freedom. But that's not descriptive of most marriages that are going on in our world today. So the question becomes, why isn't that happening? I mean, what are the elephants in the room that have become obstacles in the bedroom? Well, let's look at the first one. The first one is this. Fatigue. Fatigue. Old-fashioned fatigue. Many of us are just tired. We're worn out, we're exhausted, we're pooped. And that affects the bedroom. Now, over the past two and a half years, my wife Jennifer and I have welcomed two new babies into our world. Now, this tells you two things. The first thing is, it tells you that Jennifer has not been able to keep her hands off of me. The second thing it tells you is that we have been very, very tired, exhausted. New parents have tons of joy and excitement and fulfillment in watching little babies be born and seeing them do brand new things every single day. Our two-and-a-half-year-old Jordan now is uh, you know, using new words all the time, and it's great to watch that. Our six-month-old daughter, Shiloh, uh, just turned six months on Friday, and she's turned over, and she's starting to kind of do the army crawl thing a little bit, and I love watching them. But children create a lot of fatigue, and if you're not careful, folks, children can break down the bedroom. They can suck the life out of the bedroom. No matter whether you have babies or toddlers and you're changing diapers all the time and you're getting up in the middle of the night several times and you're having to say no and they're saying no back at you, or you have elementary and middle school students and it seems like you've become the caravan for every single kid and all you do is drive them from one activity to the next, or if they're in high school and you get scared to death when they come up and say, hey, I'm ready for the keys to the car, you know? I mean, no matter what it is, children can be fatiguing and can wear you out. As a result of this, I think what happened is that many couples have become what I call dens. Anyone want to guess what dens is? It's double-income, non-sex couples. Now, in a couple of weeks, what we're going to talk about is busyness. When I talk about 
the elephant in the kitchen. And how if you live such a busy life that there's no way you can invest within your marriage or if you're single in relationships that you hope will eventually end up in marriage. Here's a second obstacle. Your past. Your past. Your past, your history, can cause complications in your sexuality right now. Sometimes it's because you grew up in a family where you were not loved as a child. Or maybe for some of you, you have been sexually abused. Or you've had so many unhealthy sexual relationships that you just can't get it together now that you're married. Sometimes it's growing up in a home where you had very little or no physical affection expressed to you ever. And you weren't taught that sex was this wonderful kind of life-giving gift from God. But you were taught that it was carnal, that it was dirty, that it was bad, that it was destructive. Or maybe you were raised even in a home where everything just goes. It doesn't really matter. I think one of the most powerful scenes of any movie that deals with this issue was in the movie Forrest Gump. Forrest and his lifelong friend Jenny are walking along in the countryside when all of a sudden her happy, kind of airy, fun kind of attitude changed. And it became one with deep sadness and emotion and even anger. And her eyes hit this dilapidated wooden house where she had grown up as a child, but where she had repeatedly been molested by her father. And all of a sudden, she just starts picking up rocks, if you remember the movie, and she starts wailing them at the house, at the doors, at the windows, at the roof, everything that she could. And finally, she just collapses in front of the house and starts crying uncontrollably. And Forrest, in his wisdom, says this, Sometimes, I guess, there just aren't enough rocks. You know, complicating the intimacy in so many marriages is our sexual past. We've never sat down with our spouse and unpacked or discussed or dealt with or gone to counseling for to get it all out on the table so that we can live the healthiest life in that area of our life that God wants us to. And when we don't do that, folks, it simply remains the elephant in the room. Here's another elephant that creates obstacles in the bedroom. It's unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Some people, after they get married, they live in fantasy world and they think it's going to be every single night and bliss, 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 ecstasy, 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 Perfection, perfection, perfection. Somebody wrote Dear Abby and said this, Dear Abby, I'm uh, 44 years old and would like to meet a man with no bad habits. Boy, the women laughed a lot on that one. That's good. And Dear Abby responded by saying this, Dear Rose, I would like to also. You know, in our lifetime, we are exposed to thousands and thousands of sexual images in our life. 
movies, magazines, the internet, other forms of media. And because of this, we become programmed that sex ought to be like on the movies. And when it doesn't happen, like it does on Desperate Housewives, then we think that there is major disappointment in the bedroom. Now let's be realistic. You are not going to be able to shoot for the stars every single time. There's not going to be nirvana every night. It's not going to be 4th of July with fireworks, you know? I mean, some of you should be lucky sometimes if it's Groundhog Day. You know what I mean? I don't even know what that means. But just some other holiday, you know, that, like Groundhog Day just seemed like, you know, not that good. So. <laughs> but it just doesn't happen that way. Here's the final obstacle to intimacy. Unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. Folks, when arguments and disagreements and fights go unresolved in a marriage, what is created when you don't resolve things is distance and disconnection and detachment from the other person. And pretty soon, you start pulling away from each other, even in the bedroom. Silence takes over where once there was conversation freely flowing. And criticism heats up and you never hear encouraging words or words of affirmation. Walls get built up instead of bridges. And sometimes those walls take years and years to ever break down. It's like the story I heard this week of a 93-year-old man and his 92-year-old wife who came and stood before a judge. They'd been married for nearly 70 years, and they wanted a divorce. And it was really sad. And the judge said, why in the world did you wait so long for this? And they said, well, we've never really been happy, but we figured we'd wait until the children died. You see, friends, what happens is fatigue, the past, Unrealistic expectations, unresolved conflict are all elephants in the room that we have to talk about. Because if these elephants are not dealt with, they can not only create a whole lot of obstacles in your marriages or your future marriages, but they can destroy the marriage. So the question becomes, then how do we make the bedroom the safest place on earth. How do we make the marital bedroom the safest place on earth? Well, the first thing you do is you commit to communication. You commit to communication. This is where you actually choose to talk back and forth to each other by yourselves daily. You commit to having regular conversations where you talk about sexual things, where you talk about non-sexual things. You simply make a commitment to talk honestly and openly and freely throughout the entire day. Dr. Kevin Lehman wrote a book a few years ago called Sex Begins in the Kitchen. And ever since I saw that title, I've looked at people's kitchens very differently. Some of yours need some help, okay? 
The whole idea, though, behind this title is that sex is an all-day affair. Because what happens in communication outside of the bedroom has a direct correlation to the sexual climate inside the bedroom. One of my wife, uh, one of my wife uh, Jennifer's favorite things to do as a couple is for us to take walks. She loves to take walks. We can take a walk in our neighborhood. We can take a walk uh, at a park, a state park, on the Greenway. We can take a walk just about anywhere. This last week, we took a walk together in a pumpkin patch, just holding hands, walking around. Now, to be honest, when we first got married and she said, hey, let's go for a walk, I thought, are you serious? Why would any man ever go on a walk? Because walking was an exercise when I was in my 20s. I mean, if you're going to walk, you might as well run. And I did this for many years. Well, luckily, I wasn't an idiot all of the time. And about year five, I finally realized she wants to walk, not so that we become, you know, physically fit, but she wants to walk so that we connect with each other in a deeper way. And when Jennifer and I take walks most of the time, we do it because we want to engage and communicate with one another, and we just talk, and sometimes the walks are 30, 40 minutes, and the conversation just has room to go wherever it wants to go. It's a time where we can listen to each other without being interrupted by anything else. And the Bible says this, reliable communication permits progress. Reliable communication permits progress. You see, folks, when we hide from one another, when we keep reliable communication from flowing back and forth, what happens is you stop progressing as a couple. And it is a lack of communication and an unwillingness to tell the truth about ourselves that prevents many bedrooms from being the safest place on earth. So you need a commitment to communication. The second thing you need is an atmosphere of affection. An atmosphere of affection. Now, what do we mean when we say an atmosphere of affection? Well, what we mean is non-sexual touching. Non-sexual touching. Now, at this point, all the husbands and most of the men are like, what are you talking about? Those two things don't go together. That is an oxymoron. Well, hold on for a second, because the Bible tells us a story in Genesis 26 about Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham was the father of Israel, and Isaac was kind of uh, his first son, his promised son. And it says this, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. He was caressing her. In other words, he was expressing affection to her. There was holding going on. Not sexual intercourse, but holding, caressing, touching. You see, I don't know if you know this, but there is big differences between men and women when it comes to this area of understanding affection. Because we're made emotionally in very different ways. For example, it would be very unusual for a man to say, I just want to be held tonight. 
Ladies, you can dream that all you want, but it probably isn't going to happen. Because generally, not exclusively, but generally, men are visually kind of oriented. That's how they get turned on. Women, on the other hand, get turned on more relationally and emotionally. Typically, a man's sex drive is like a light switch. He can just turn it on and it comes on just like that. A woman's sex drive is more like an iron. You turn it on and then you wait and you wait until it heats up. Gary Smalley says it like this. He says, you decide which one is which, okay? But in a marriage, there are two people when it comes to sex. One's a microwave, the other's a crock pot. I'll let you decide, okay? Now, guys, let me tell you this. When your wife tells you, honey, would you just hold me? Do you know what they're really saying? Just hold me, okay? It's not time to go for the move at that point, okay? In Ephesians 5, the Bible teaches us about husbands and wives and their roles. And it says that a husband should love his wife as he does his own body. Let's read it. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. What does Christ do for the church? What does He do for every church? He feeds it and He cares for it. He doesn't try to get something out of it. He doesn't try to fulfill His own need, but He meets the needs of the church. I mean, whatever the greatest need is of the Jar Community Church, if we go to God and we ask Christ to intercede, He will. And in the same way, husbands, Scripture commands you to care for your wife's needs. To care for her with gentleness and kindness and compassion. This means that you're going to have to step out of your world of being self-important. You're going to have to step out of Sports. You have to step away from the television. You have to step away from controlling the remote control. And you have to enter your wife's world and nurture and caress her because that's what feeds her soul. Guys, you've got to enter her world and get involved. Now, I've given the guys a hard time for a minute. Let's turn the table. Wives, one of the things that your husband needs, but they would never tell you in a million years, because they're too macho, but one of the things that they need, as much as anything, is affirmation. They desire for you to affirm them. There is not a guy on this planet who doesn't want to be appreciated and affirmed and respected. Your husband needs to hear you say things like, hey, you know what, what you do, you do it really, really well. I'm proud of you. I mean, I can have a dozen people come up here after church and tell me, man, Chris, you did a great job. Man, that talk, it was just out. Man, it just spoke to me. And that doesn't mean near as much as Jennifer just saying, you know what, you didn't do half bad today. I mean, like, when she tells me that, that means a lot because it comes from her. 
Ephesians commands women in marriage to do this. Wives are to honor and respect their husbands. It's so interesting to me in this chapter that the command to the husbands is to love, uh, is to love your wife as Christ loved the church, being willing to die for her. And it says that women are to respect and honor their husbands. Because generally, not always, but generally, what women tend to need most of all is to feel loved. Because when they're loved, the way that God desires a husband to love a wife, then they feel fulfilled in their security. And men need respect. I mean, the thing that would crush Jen the most is if I went up to her and I said, Honey, you know, I respect you a lot, but I just don't love you that much anymore. I mean, that would kill her. In the same way, what would hurt me is if she said, Honey, I love you. I just don't respect you as much. Wives and husbands need to respect and give affirmation to one another. Wives, your husbands need affirmation. They need you to give respect and honor them. And husbands, your wives need love. And they need an investment of your time. Here's the last thing. If a marital bedroom is going to be the safest place in the world, there must be an attitude of self-giving. There must be an attitude of self-giving. You see, folks, sex is designed by God as a way for a partner to give himself or herself unashamedly, fully to the other person. And it's best when there are two people who are selfless, expressing love toward the other person. It's just the opposite, though, of what we read about or what we see and what we're told in the world. How sex is about getting something. It's about self-pleasure. It's about self-fulfillment. And the reality is that the Bible tells us that in sex, but in almost everything in life, that it's about giving, not taking. The Bible says this, You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, the ultimate act of giving took place 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ went to a cross and he died upon it because he wanted to give of himself to the world. He took on the payment for all the sins, every sin in this place, every sexual sin in this place, he took it on. He left heaven and he came to earth. And he died on a cross for the payment of all sins. It was a criminal's death. A death on a cross where he died and bled because of his love for you. No one could pay that payment except God's Son. No one could do it. And the Bible says this, there is one God and one human being and, and one way human beings can reach God. 
That way is through Jesus Christ, who is himself human. He gave himself as a payment to free all people. Well, today we're going to celebrate communion. This is a time when we remember the payment that Jesus Christ made for your sins and my sins. And he did that so our sins could be taken away and we could be set free. Now this week I had a couple people come up to me and said, you're going to talk about sex and then you're going to have communion. And at first I was like, yeah, man, that wasn't very good planning, was it? You know. But then I started praying about it and God revealed something to me this week that I think is really powerful. And it's this. The greatest act of giving, the greatest act of intimacy ever known to humankind was when God said, I will give my one and only Son, the one who has been with me since the beginning of time, and I will freely give him away the thing that I hold closest and dearest to you so that all of your sins, everything you've ever done, any way that you've ever escaped from His love, that He would come and He would bring you back. And secondly, I thought this, that this is a topic that there are many of us who have sexual pasts that are painful. We don't even talk about it anymore. Some of us are married and we've never talked about it. But there have been things in our life, things that we've done. Maybe we've been addicted to pornography. Maybe there's porn in your house right now. And you're thinking, you know what? Man, I want to be set free. And maybe for others of you, it's the fact that you can remember multiple one-night stands before you ever got married, and you've just carried a lot of that in your life. Or maybe for some of you, it's an affair that you had in your marriage, or maybe an abortion that you went through, or you paid for. Or maybe it was the fact that You were sexually abused as a child and you just never dealt with that. But whatever that thing is that you've been carrying that no one else knows and it's the biggest elephant in your life, today Jesus wants to forgive all of that and make you clean. He wants to set you free. He really does. Whatever the sexual sin or shame is that you've been carrying, this is the moment right here today that you can be set free. So this morning, I'm just going to give you a few moments just between you and God to connect and that you would ask for forgiveness for anything, maybe from that past. And I realize not everyone has had sexual sin in their past. And if it's not, maybe there's other things in your life that you can just ask God today, right now, I want to be totally set free. Would you forgive me of this? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You confess it, however painful it is, it's just between you and God. And Chuck's going to play just a little bit underneath to give you some time to reflect upon that. And then he's going to lead us in a song about the most amazing love that any of us will ever experience in our human life.
And then whenever you're done with that time, I'd invite you to go to any of these tables. And when you go to one of these tables, the first thing that I'd like you to do is to take the hand sanitizer and put it on your hand and wipe it on your hands. And whatever the sin is that's in your life right now, that it is totally forgiven, that you would be reminded that you are set free, that you're clean today. And then I'd invite you to go ahead and take uh, the bread that will be given to you and tear off a piece of it and dip it into the juice and eat and experience the forgiveness that only God can give you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for sending your one and only Son to pay the debt for all of our sins. Today there are some of us that have been carrying heavy bags of guilt and shame and pain from our sexual past. And for some of us, we think we could never be forgiven. God, I pray for whoever that person is that right now, if they have that thought in their mind, that they would know today that you want to forgive them. That they're your creation. That when they turn to you, they become your child. And you love to lavish us with forgiveness and grace. Let them know today, God, that they are forgiven for anything from their past when they turn to you as Lord. that you would remove the the pain and the hurt that they feel. Let people know that regardless of what it is that's in their past, that today, as they turn to you, that they can be forgiven. Father, I know that there are some marriages right now that are in painful places because of some of the hurt that has happened in the bedroom. And the stakes are high for these couples, God. So I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just come and you would bring forgiveness and healing to them. Lord, as we come to these tables today, would you meet us there? Would you meet us right now in this moment as we spend time just one-on-one with you? And as we take the bread and in the cup. May we be renewed to live our lives completely and for you. Thank you for your amazing love, Jesus, of going to the cross so that we would be set free.
everybody to rise. Great week. Now you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on.